Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. We are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you, as well as all of those worshiping with us out in Prescott Valley today. Uh, greetings to you. So glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, before we dive in, one more time, just want to remind you uh, that this coming week, oh, my button's not working here. Broke it. Um, this coming week uh, is our Christmas. And so we have services on the 23rd and the 24th. So whichever one of those works for you, whether it's the three and four or our regular services next Sunday, 8, 9, 30, and 11. So please uh, come and join us there. For those of you uh, who are open to it, there are invites available. So we passed these out to everybody last week. If you didn't get one, we still have a few available. We would love for you to take one of these cards and sign it, fill it out, invite somebody that you know and love to come and to celebrate Christmas with us here at Quad City Christian Church. Today, we're continuing this series that we've been in for the last few weeks that we're calling the Songs of Christmas. Um, Because as we've said from the beginning, that Christmas is tied to music in a way that is unlike any other holiday. Um, In fact, let me ask this. How many of you have ever participated in or been the recipient of Christmas caroling? Anybody? Look at all of these hands. You all are a bunch of weirdos. I mean, just think about this for just how odd is that? That a, that a group of people are going to gather together and go outside during the winter and show up randomly at people's houses and sing songs at them, usually not very well. <laughs> like, how weird is that? Like, if somebody did that at President's Day or Columbus Day or some random Thursday, like, that would just be really, really weird. Put it in another context. If some other religious group got together a herd of people and they came and stood on your sidewalk and they sang anthems at your house uninvited, you'd probably call the cops. 
Like, this is so weird. But all of you, most of you have done that. And I know it still happens in communities all over the country. And I know this because every time my wife watches a Hallmark Christmas movie, there's always a caroling scene. I get every one of them. So I'm sure it still happens. In fact, here's, here's how tied in Christmas is to music. Do you know what the best-selling song of all time is? The best-selling song of all time. Oh, it still didn't work, Nate. You got to help me out here. Here we go. Bing Crosby's White Christmas is the best-selling song of all time. Not just the best-selling Christmas song. The best-selling song of all time is Bing Crosby's White Christmas. You'd think it'd be an Elvis song, or maybe U2, Beyonce, T-Swift. Nope. Bing Crosby's White Christmas. From the very beginning, Christmas has been something that has inspired people to sing. Like from the very beginning, and one of the one of the the first people to sing were the first people to experience Christmas, which is why in your Bible, as we've learned over the last few weeks, the Christmas story is laced with songs. And so we've been studying those together. We started with Mary's song, and then we talked about Zachariah's song. And today we're gonna hone in on what's probably the most famous of all the songs. That is the angels. Song. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. The angels show up and they sing their song on the night that Jesus was born. And this is the part of the Christmas story that you've likely heard more than any other. It is the part of the Christmas story that gets uh, read every year at Christmas from the courthouse steps here in Prescott. Most of you know this part of the story of Mary and Joseph and their trek to Bethlehem. It's what all the movies are made of and all the Christmas cantatas are centered around. You know this part of the story. At least you think you do. Here's what the Bible actually t tells us about the night of Jesus' birth. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is all we're told about the birth scene of Jesus. The truth is, most of what you think of when you think of the story of the night of Jesus' birth is really just exaggerated and dramatized, and it needs to be, because you can't really make a movie out of this. Like, there's just no drama to it, okay? There's, this is not a compelling movie. Here's what we know. These are the facts that we do know. Uh, Mary took, I'm sorry, Joseph took Mary to Bethlehem because he was required to register in his ancestral city, which was the city of Bethlehem, because he came from the line of David. And while they were in Bethlehem, the baby was born. 
And because there was no room in the guest room, Jesus was placed in a manger. The end. Like, that's the story. That's all we know of the birth of Jesus. Now, our focus this morning is on the angel's song. Now, what's interesting to me, and there's lots of interesting things in this story that I'll point out as we go. What's interesting to me is that when the angels show up to sing their song, they don't show up to sing their song to Jesus. They don't even show up to sing their song to encourage Mary and Joseph. They don't even show up to sing their song at the place where this child was born. Like, like you would go to the hospital to be with the family. The first family don't experience the angels singing at all. Like it, they, didn't, they didn't hear anything. They had to hear this Mary, Joseph, Jesus. They had to hear that there were angels singing his praises, they had to hear that secondhand from a group of shepherds. And I say it that way because that's the way they would have probably said it. Shepherds? Yeah, shepherds. From a group of shepherds. That's the way they would have said it, except they probably wouldn't have used English. But shepherds in this culture were looked on with disdain. Like they were the outcasts. Because, because of the nature of their job, they didn't have the time or the ability to follow all the rules of Judaism like many other people, which kept them from being able to go worship in the temple because they were always dealing with death, whether it was a death of a lamb or the death of a sheep that got attacked by a something or something they had to kill. So they, they, they were often seen as unclean. There were some commentators that I read that said that they were just socially different people. I don't know how he would know that. But they did spend their lives living with sheep and not people. Which again, I think, what a boring life that would be to be a shepherd. What a boring life. I mean, think about it. The age-old adage is that when you can't fall asleep at night, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to count sheep. These poor people had to do for a living what you've been told to do to bore yourself unconscious. <laughs> That's their life. But people's disdain for them went beyond just the nature of the job. Shepherds were seen as a shady lot of people. They were seen as liars and thieves. It was widely believed that they weren't even trusted to be uh, witnesses in court proceedings because who can trust them? They're shepherds. Which again, it just, it blows my mind that that was the common attitude because in the history of the Jewish people, some of its most honorable men were shepherds. Moses, Abraham, they were shepherds. David was a shepherd boy. And yet, by the time we get to the first century, they were seen as the dregs of society. Which makes it all the more interesting that when these angels show up to sing praises to Jesus, they sing it to the shepherds. Let's pick up the story. Let's keep going. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Notice it doesn't say working out in the fields. They were living out in the fields nearby. Think about how that smelled. They were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. This little word right here, they were terrified. It's a, a good jumping off point for me to remind us again that angels in the Bible, they do not look like Clarence in A Wonderful Life, okay? They were terrifying. The angels do not look like your willow figurines hanging on your Christmas tree. They don't look like your little precious moments that you have stacked on your shelf. They are terrifying. These angels are otherworldly and they are holy and they strike dreadful fear in the hearts of everyone who sees them. These angels show up. This is the third time. They showed up to Mary. They showed up to Zechariah, and they show up to the shepherds, and the response to them is always the same. The people are scared to death because these people, these angels, are terrifying. But not only did these shepherds see an angel, they actually had the glory of the Lord shown around them. They are enveloped in the glory of God. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what that would be like, but they are enveloped in the very glory of God. And they are terrified. I imagine we would be too. It reminds me of the old KJV. If you have an old KJV, the way that the KJV said, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were sore afraid. I don't even know what that means, but I love the way that it sounds. They were sore afraid. And I say, of course they were. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The angel says, I got good news. How many of you all like good news? You all are very unenthusiastic about good news. Yeah, we want good news. Everybody likes good news. He says, I got good news, great joy, and I'm all for that. What's the good news, Mr. Angel? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I got good news. A Savior has been born. And I kept this, these two words got hung up on those this and studying for this message. Savior's been born to you. Savior's been born to you. A Savior's been born to you. This is what the angel says to the shepherds. Savior's been born to you. To which my little demented mind, I just imagine one shepherd saying to the other, wasn't born to me. I ain't had no babies. I ain't even been near a woman. I don't know what he's talking about. He says, Savior's been born to you. He doesn't say a Savior's been born to Mary and Joseph. Doesn't say a Savior's been born to the people of Israel. No, no, no. This is personal. A Savior's been born to you and to you and to you. A Savior's been born to you. The Savior wasn't just for a family. It wasn't for a nation. The Savior was born to you. The angel says, this is good news. 
A Savior's been born to you, and this good news ought to bring great joy. But let's be honest this morning. I just shared the good news, and it didn't bring you great joy. You know how I know? Because you're sitting here like this. This is not how you respond in great joy. But I get it. I get it. It doesn't sound like good news to you because it's not new news. It's old news. And it's hard to make old news sound like good news because you sitting here like this is really just you saying, I've already heard that, Pastor. What else you got? That's what you're saying. And I get it. Doesn't sound like good news. It sounds like old news, and it's hard to make old news sound like good news. But there's another layer to it. You know who doesn't find joy in the news that a Savior has been born to you? You know who doesn't find joy in that? People who don't feel like they need a Savior. If you don't feel like you need a Savior, then to hear a Savior's been born to you doesn't sound like good news because what do I need a Savior for? Maybe good news for somebody, it's just not good news for me. For a lot of people who hear the news that a Savior's been born to you, it doesn't bring great joy because they have no need of a Savior. But for people who've been oppressed, for people who've been captured or detained or subjected to somebody else's authoritarian rule, to hear the news that a Savior has come, that will bring them good, or that good news will bring them great joy. We've seen it over the last few weeks as hostages have been released from Israel. When those people are released and their family hear that news, that news brings great joy. Not a manufactured joy, legit great joy. Because they've experienced a Savior. You see it on the face of every person who hears the words not guilty and the cuffs are taken off and they are set free and that Good news brings great joy. You see it every time somebody's rescued from a burning building or a collapsed building or, a, or the jaws of life drag somebody from a car that's about ready to explode. People who are unable to save themselves, when they hear that a Savior has come, that good news brings great joy. And you don't have to manufacture it. But if you've never felt like you were a captive, then you'll never appreciate the good news that a Savior has been born. The shepherds felt it. They felt it because they felt like captives every time they were forced to pay taxes to a nation that had conquered and oppressed them. They felt it every time a Roman soldier would come and confiscate their belongings, and they had no recourse to get it back. They felt it every time the Roman government would obliterate those who would dare to fight against them for their freedom. 
They felt it every time the Romans would strike fear in the hearts of everyone by taking somebody else and nailing them to a cross for everybody to see. These shepherds felt the need for a savior. This news brought them great joy. And if we truly began to understand our situation, this news would bring us great joy. If we truly understood our situation, we should feel this great joy too. We should feel the good news of the coming of a Savior. We should feel the need for a Savior every time we know what the right thing is to do, but we can't get ourselves to do it. We should feel the need for a Savior every time we know the thing that we shouldn't do, but we can't seem to keep ourselves from doing it. We should feel the need for a Savior every time we get sick, every time we attend a funeral, every time we look at an old photograph and we are reminded again that our mortality is coming on us quick and there is nothing that we can do to stop it. Every time that happens, we should feel the need for a Savior again. These shepherds knew what it was like to be oppressed. They knew what it was like to be held captive. They understood with great clarity that they needed a savior. And so, of course, for them, this news that a savior has been born to you, it was good news of great joy. And the only reason this wouldn't be good news of great joy for you, for me, is because you don't believe you need a Savior. The only reason it wouldn't be good news of great joy is, is if you've come to believe that you've not ever been held captive. You've not been taken hostage. You've not been oppressed. You've not been overpowered by an enemy that you can't defeat. And if those things are true of you, then you're right. You don't need a Savior. So who cares about this good news? But if we know the truth, if we understand the reality of the situation, of just how dire our circumstances are without a Savior, if we understood that, then this news would be good news for us, and it would most certainly overflow in great joy. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Or some of your Bibles might put it, he is Christ, the Lord. Now, just to make sure that we're on the same page, Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? Christ is another word for Messiah. It means the anointed one. The Greek word is Christos. It's where we get the word Christ. It's a title that Jesus was the long-awaited, long-predicted Messiah who was to come. He is the Messiah. He was the promised one. And he is also the Lord. He is the Lord. And when we read that word Lord, again, we have such a small understanding of what this word means. It means nothing to us. 
This word Lord means nothing to us. We don't understand the gravity and the weight that comes with this word. The word Lord means that he towers above all. He is in charge of all. He is the ruler. He is sovereign. He is the mighty God. He is everlasting. Lord means there's nothing in creation that is not subject to him, whether they believe in him or not. He is the one through whom the universe was made. He is the beginning and the end. He is the last word on every matter for eternity. He is the one to whom all people everywhere will have to give an account. That's what it means to be Lord of all. He is the Lord, which means that he calls the shots, not me. He is the Lord, which means I do his bidding. He does not do my bidding. Who am I to ask him to do what I want? My heart's position is, Lord, I do what you want. That's what it means to be Lord. And this mighty Savior, this Messiah, this Lord, the angel says to these shepherds, he's just been born. Think about that for just a moment. That'll blow your mind. To have the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, and the body of a baby. Like, that's mind-boggling. And the angels knew that this would be a bit unbelievable to these shepherds. So he says, I know you're going to go test to see whether or not what I'm telling you is true, so let me help you out. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Apparently, there weren't a lot of babies wrapped in cloths and lying in mangers around Bethlehem. And no sooner than this angel shares this news, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, again, this is so interesting. It was enough for one angel to share this good news. It was enough for one angel to deliver the news of the birth, but it took a whole army of angels. That's right, an army, heavenly host. This word host means army. That's what it is. A heavenly army of angels is what it took to rightly celebrate the fact that this child has been born. They burst out into what we know of as the glory in excelsis Deo. Glory in excelsis Deo is the name of this song because it's the first word, first line of the song. Glory to God in the highest. That's what glory in excelsis Deo means. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels can't help but sing out praise, giving glory to God to celebrate what the coming of this Savior and Messiah and Lord means. Which again, it just blows my mind to think about this. Because these angels got nothing out of the coming of the Savior. They got nothing out of it. These angels don't need a Savior. 
They have no sins. These angels are always in the presence of God already. They have no sin to be atoned for. They have no need for a savior. There is no benefit to them of Jesus coming, a Messiah arriving. They have no benefit, but yet their hearts explode with praise and glory to God. They light up the sky and they worship God singing. And in their song is one of the most famous lines when we come around to Christmas time and peace on earth. On earth, peace. You love this phrase, peace on earth. Like, you'll see that everywhere this time of year. You'll see it written in lights. You'll see it uh, on wrapping paper. You'll see it crocheted into a pillow and painted on a coffee cup. Like, people love to talk about peace on earth this time of year. We sing that phrase over and over Peace on earth is a message that everybody can get behind. Everybody loves to think about this. But I just need to make sure we don't miss this today. The peace that Jesus came to give, it isn't for everyone. I know it's sacrilegious for me to even say that, right? But the promise this text is not that everyone on earth is going to get to experience the peace of God. Peace is not promised to everyone. The promise is that on the earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. There's a condition to who this peace is given to. It's given to those on whom his favor rests. In other words, peace with God and the peace of God is restricted to those who have received the favor of God. And how does one receive the favor of God? The way that you receive the favor of God is by receiving the Savior that was sent from God. The favor of God is given to those who believe and put faith in the one that God has sent as his son, the Messiah, into the world. That's who the peace is available for. The peace of God, we could say it this way, the peace of God that is given is, is offered up to those who give glory to God. As glory to God is lifted up, the peace of God is given down. But to those who refuse to offer glory up to God should not expect to receive peace with God coming down from God. For peace to come down, glory has to go up. That's the way God designed it. Unless and until you declare that that baby who is laid in a manger is your Savior and is your Lord unless you receive him and are determined to live your life for his glory. Not only do you not get the peace of God, you will not have the favor of God. We all begin 
as enemies of God. That's what scripture says. We all begin as enemies of God. We all start opposed to God and God opposed to us. We are slaves to sin and objects of wrath. That's what scripture teaches us. But when we surrender by faith in Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, then we are granted peace. And not just some kind of peace that gives us some sentimental feeling. That's not the kind of peace we're talking about. Some sense of serenity on the inside of us. That's not the peace that we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of peace that comes when two warring armies quit fighting and peace comes because one of the opponents bows down to the other, surrenders to the other. That's when peace comes. When one side in the battle gives up the fight and says, you win. That's the kind of peace. The scripture says that we have available to us through Jesus. Romans chapter five puts it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Lord, the Messiah, whose name is Jesus. We have peace, not the peace of God. We have peace with God because we were once opposed to him. But when we come through faith in Jesus, when we make him our Lord, when we acknowledge him as the Messiah, then we surrender ourselves through faith. Then we have peace with God. Peace with your family is good. Peace between nations is great. Peace in your marriage is a blessing. Peace with your neighbor is helpful. Peace in yourself is fine. But none of those things are going to matter one second after you're dead. None of those will matter. The only thing that will matter in the end is do you have peace with God? Have you made peace with God? Peace with God only comes through faith in the one that he sent. Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So here's the question today. Do you have that kind of peace? Are you at peace with God today? Jesus came so we could experience peace with God, not just now, but forever, which should make us all cry out, glory to God in the highest. The way that we make peace with God through Christ is we, we believe. We place our faith in him that Jesus was not just a baby in a manger. He was Lord and he was Savior and he grew up and he died in our place and for our sins and God raised him from the dead that we can have life in him. Do you believe that? That's where it begins. The scripture says we are to repent. 
Repent is when you fall down on your face and you say, I've been living my life the way I want to live it, but that I can't do that if I have a Lord. To have a Lord means you call the shots and you get to tell me what to do. And I've lived how I wanted, now I repent and I will live how you've called me to. Because that's the only way that you can live if you have a Lord. So you believe and you repent and you confess. You say it out loud. Jesus is Lord. You make it public. And then lastly, you are to be baptized. It is the ultimate picture of surrender. It's you laying down where you die to yourself and you are raised to new life. This is the picture of how we make peace with God through faith in Jesus as we lay down to our Lord and our Savior. And we want to give you that opportunity today. If you've never done that, why not do it now? Because a Savior has been born to you. So our prayer team is going to be available today if you want to take that step. Our baptism is ready today for you to surrender, to declare with your mouth, to put your faith in him, to lay down your life, to die to yourself, and to be reborn at Christmas. If you want to do that today, then we invite you to do that. Come meet with our team before you leave today. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful that you've made a way for us to be at peace with you, to experience what it means to be born again, to walk out of here because we understand just how good this good news is. May our hearts overflow with great joy because we understand how much we need a Savior. Today, we want to lift up glory celebrate the fact that you sent the Messiah to save us. And we declare he is the Lord of our life. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.